This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey folks, Tennis.com podcast here on a Monday. I'm Ed McGrogan with Steve Tigner, Richard Pagliaro. Uh, we're going to talk about Monte Carlo primarily today, which uh, just ended with the same result it's been the past six times. Uh, it's now seven. Rafael Nadal wins the title. Um both these two wrote about the match for the site. Richard had the racket reaction to it on Sunday. Steve just posted today. So both have definitely talked a lot about Nadal, and I wanted to kind of get into that when we, we mentioned him here. But I wanted to just ask one question just to start. I was thinking about just how last year Nadal, his first win was at Monte Carlo. Um, he was kind of on a little bit of a tournament drought this year. It's not exactly the same. He obviously has three of the last four majors, but he did suffer a couple final defeats to Djokovic. Not not exactly the ideal, I guess, opening star. I guess what I just want to know is there any is there anything to, to say about Nadal actually needing a, a a clay court title like Monte Carlo this early in the year, or is that kind of just you know? Yeah, I think it's if he doesn't win this, that continues. He talked about after the match how how losing those two finals to Djokovic, especially the Miami one, made him a little more nervous in this, in finishing this one off. So, you know, doubts can creep in. They creep in with anybody. They definitely they definitely creep in with him, even when you think they shouldn't, even when he's playing a tournament. He's won six straight times. So I think he, you know, this year, last year and this year, he seemed to use Monte Carlo as almost his his jumping off point for the season. He also talked about afterwards yesterday that this point through Wimbledon is really when he... This is his prime. This is his period to to do well. Whether it's whether he thinks of it as defending points or just or just these are the titles he he can win. This is when he builds his momentum. So um, so I think he did need this. I think. Yeah, he. I mean, looking. I remember back last year the big reaction he had to beating. I think it was Verdasco. Was it in last year's final? It seemed like it was a very big deal to him. I think that was the case this year, too. I, I just think, like you said, he's gotten into such a... Even though he's obviously an all-core player, of course, one of the best ever, uh, he's just kind of made this as like his, you know, a, a necessary entrance into this next phase of the of the year for him. Um, let's kind of just talk about the final a little bit since we all saw it. Richard, may I'll start with you. Um, just kind of, what did you see from Nadal? You wrote that it was, you know, it wasn't. I think we can all agree it maybe wasn't his most best vintage performance, but uh, he got done in the end, of course. Yeah, I think you know when you go back to the Open, he served so well at the Open. I think this year he hasn't served as consistently well, and you saw Ferrer had break points first three. I mean, for our chances throughout the first set, but I just think once the rally started getting longer and longer, his confidence came out a little. But even in the end, he was a little nervous if Ferrer doesn't miss that smash. 
I mean, who knows? He's down in that game serving serving for the second, you know, serving for the match, basically. I just thought he, you know, he was really motivated. I think what Steve said, he he didn't want to lose three Masters finals in a row. And also, anytime he loses to a guy in a big match, like losing to Ferrer in Australia, I think he's extra motivated, even though he's obviously got a significant edge in the head-to-head. He wants to come back and and sort of impose himself on it. So I thought he really fought hard. He scrapped well. It he definitely wasn't hitting the ball as cleanly as I've seen him in his serve. It hasn't been as sharp all year, but I think that's something he can take as a positive. Hey, I didn't play my best. I still won in straight sets, you know, seventh straight. Yeah, there's year. also the idea of, of of peaking too soon. You right. Know, he, he had a peak. He played incredibly well at Monte Carlo last year. Didn't have the same kind of quite the same competition as this year. But you know, the French Open isn't for it doesn't start for another month or even five weeks. Um, so for him to get a tournament win and play well, if not his absolute best, he said afterwards that he didn't he didn't play really, really well, which I guess is you know still he played well, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but he's you know he's building up to the French Open just like just like anybody else. And even for a guy that we all acknowledge as a king of clay, I mean, he even said he didn't practice well in that he didn't have a big transition time coming right off the hard court of Miami. So I think it. Even for him, it takes a little bit of time to adjust to the surface. It's interesting. There's a lot of um, different stages to this clay court season. Um, there's Monte Carlo, of course, kind of entering it, and then we're going to have two weeks where you're going to see Nadal and Djokovic playing small events. Nadal is going to play Barcelona this week. I think Murray might as well. Um, and then Djokovic is going to play Serbia or in Belgrade, mm-hmm. and then they'll finally all convene for a, I think a pretty inter, you know a very anticipated tournament in Madrid and then it will go to Rome and only then after is the French Open so it, it's uh, it's definitely um, a step by step and we're going to get the the next stage of that before we kind of get some maybe some conclu- early conclusions amongst the big men going forward. The longest professional tennis match lasted eleven hours five minutes and took more than three days to finish. During the match, there were 980 total points played, 138 games, 2,189 strokes, and 489 backhands. And combined, the players spent over 11 hours on their feet. Just imagine how much longer they could have gone if they were wearing the Asics Gel Resolution 3. With a Flexion Fit Upper for extra stability, it's engineered to go deep into the fifth set. Asics. Sound mind, sound body. Uh, before Nadal got to this point, the seventh title, there was a the match, I thought, of the tournament on Saturday when he beat Murray in the semifinals. Uh, Murray coming into this tournament hadn't won since the Australian Open. Uh, can you already call Murray, who struggled so badly for a couple months, can you call a per- player back after just one tournament result like this one? Uh, good question. <laughs> um, I, think, I think you can say he's back because... Uh, he's you know he's good enough and has shown shown over the course of his career that he's you know he belongs in this situation he he almost beat or he had played a really good match against Nadal and Monte Carlo two years ago so this was sort of just getting back to what we expect you know who knows what will happen from here he's he he has an elbow injury and he may or may not play in Barcelona this week but but it did look like the you know the the good Murray the vintage Murray he he um you know who knows what he's really can do on clay it seems like at times he could he could really be even a threat to nadal obviously and and play well on the surface it sort of 
rewards his style, his his patient style, but then at the same time he's never done a whole lot on the surface. Um, but it was good to see him. Good to see at least from a fan's perspective in, in the mix because he it's, he has an interesting matchup with Nadal and they play they play you know I think interesting matches against each other. It would be nice to see them go up against each other later this season. And that was right, you know, not too long ago was when they met in London in the World Tour Finals, and that was a, a classic there last year, too. Um, I think Nadal seems to bring out really the, the best in Murray. At, at times, he's one of the opponent, as opposed to, say, Federer, who sort of just kind of puts Murray into a, I don't know, into submission almost. But Nadal and him have had some really great matches over the years, too. Yeah, and I think Nadal brings out a little bit of the competitive ferocity in Murray where you've seen those meek moments like in Australia where he just kind of goes away and doesn't look committed, whereas with Nadal, you know, he's banged up, he has the elbow issue, but he still kind of fought, hung tough, gave him a tough match, you know, did, did the best he could under the the uh, circumstances. I thought an interesting comment he made after the match was that he tried to play with more height on the shots. And when you think of Nadal losing to Soderling at the French or losing to Del Potro, you always think, well, the flat ball hitters, the big servers are the guy that gives him trouble. But Murray tried a little different tact and tried to play with some height, maybe push him back a little and then use the angle or the drop shot. I'm not sure he could sustain that over best of five, but it was just interesting to see him tactically try to switch up and show Nadal something he usually doesn't show. Yeah, he used that forehand cross-court pretty well. Right. And, yeah. uh, got Rafa out of position and backed him up. I guess it's a tough tough thing to keep to doing. Keep doing but, yeah. um, that was but, yeah, kinda, that's true. Yeah, that was kind of my conclusion was that it was um, it, it was kind of for Murray what he did in the second set was the, the way to play um, against Nadal and Clay, I guess, and he kind of Showed the aggressiveness. He also showed some good deception. I thought he used the drop shot very well, but it just—it's just a matter of doing that throughout the whole match. And this is just a best of three, and we saw that right. time kind of kind of ran out. And best of five is really a whole whole different story. It was just encouraging when you remember what happened with Donald Young and Alex Bogomolov Jr., where he just kind of threw his hands up like, "Geez, I don't have it today. I'm done." Where he did try to actually think his way through some problems i thought that was encouraging for murray you know yeah it's uh it's a good step for him you know getting at least back into the uh, in the discussion whether it uh whether it leads to something down the road we'll take a look um the other the other event we'll touch on this weekend was was the fed cup I actually just kind of put up a poll and in sort of you have to knock it when the next round is seven months away the final I sort of put up what what's <laughs> yeah. what's gonna what's gonna happen, what's most likely to happen between now and uh, the next stage of Fed Cup. We so got, you're gonna forget who's in the finals. You're gonna, that's <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. one of that's, that's one, one of the choices. The Mets yeah. might win two games in a row between now. And yeah, then. there's um, Czech Republic. We'll just kind of recap the numbers here. Czech Republic beat Belgium. Uh, they, that was a it went down to the doubles. Um, that was a, a way. That was a pretty nice one for them. Russia just flattened Italy five nothing. That was Italy was without Schiavone, Panetta. Um, they were kind of I think both of them put their decision to practice for the clay court stretch. Schiavone won the French Open last year, and then the United States um, was kicked out of the World Group with their five zero loss to Germany. This was another depleted team, although it's really the same team that actually pretty much the same team minus Bethany Mag that got to the final of the last two years. Um, Richard, you saw a little of it. I don't know. Is this a, I guess maybe we'll just ask about, we kind of know what happened, but maybe the down the road, like 
Melanie Dan, Christina McHale. Like, what do you, what do you think of those two players? Um, just kind of maybe as sort of U.S. hopes, I guess, for uh, for down the road. You know, the little I've seen of Christina, I actually like her game. I think she serves bigger than you would expect for her size. She's very, you know, a little bit like Melanie in that they're both feisty and everything. I just think it's going to be harder for Melanie just because she doesn't aside from the forehand, doesn't have a huge weapon and it's hard. She's not, and her, her mentality is not to counter punch. She likes to go after the ball, but I just think it's going to be, I mean, I think she'll, she's a great competitor. She'll fight hard. I just don't know game wise if she'll be able to, to hang in there. Although, you know, given the Williams sisters injuries and the advancing age, you kind of would like to see those two emerge as maybe a nucleus for the future. And you get Bethany back in there. Maybe they'd get back, to the world group. I, I, I do like Christina's game though. I think she's got a bigger game than her size might, might show. Bleak hopes yeah. at the moment <laughs> yeah. though. And I uh, thought for sure they'd win the doubles and they win the first set. And then when they lost that, I was, geez, that's yeah, a, if they don't want to the, go uh, out yeah, because you got the, you know, Vanya King won Wimbledon in us open doubles and you got Hubert, one of the best doubles players in the world. And you don't win that. That's, that's demoralizing. That's good night. Irene. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, thanks to these two, and we'll talk later on in the week. Thanks for listening to Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 